In a few minutes, you're going to have a wonderful opportunity to get to know a little better some young people in the congregation, to get to know them, to uh, hear some of a bits, excerpts of their stories that you can read more about uh, in booklets that are available on your way out, to witness some of their baptisms, to vow to support and encourage them, and to pray for them uh, as members of our confirmation class this year. And because in addition to Mother's Day, this is confirmation class Sunday for us, I found myself asking, what does the Bible say in particular to and about and for young people? Uh, there's the story of Noah and all of his animals in, uh, back in the early part of the Bible for very young people, though that's not really, if you read it, a very young person's story. Uh, there are stories in the Bible like the one about Jesus' interaction with the wee little man Zacchaeus and the very fun uh, young people's song that goes along with that. There are stories in the Bible like the one about uh, Jesus interacting with small children, with younger people, and Jesus says, let them come to me, his disciples don't get it, uh, and they try to keep them away from Jesus. And for children of all ages, there are the commands in the Old Testament to honor one's father and mother, and the New Testament to obey one's father and mother. But does the Bible anywhere speak specifically to younger people who are in this process of becoming adults and are growing up in Christ? And the answer to that question is absolutely yes, and we're going to look at one of those passages this morning. Now, there are two books in the back of the New Testament that we know. They were letters, uh, and we know them as the books First and Second Timothy. They were letters written by the Apostle Paul to uh, a young man named Timothy who was like a son in the faith to Paul. We don't know how old exactly uh, Timothy was, but we knew, know that he was much younger than the people around him in the church. And we know that he had a significant role in the church, an emerging role in the young and growing church. So that's a little background. Before we read, let me pray for us. Help us, God, to, uh, to do, to be what we pray, to be attentive to you. Many of our minds are constantly filled with thoughts and distractions and responsibilities and tasks and points of stress. Help us to take a deep breath and to be attentive to you. Give us eyes that are good to see your things, ears that are able to hear, hearts that are good and receptive soil to receive your word. I pray and ask that as my words are true to your word, that they would be taken to heart. If my words in any way stray from your word, may they immediately be forgotten. We pray in Christ the Lord. Amen. So reading from the book of 1 Timothy chapter 4, beginning at verse 1, listen closely. This is the word of God. The Spirit clearly says that in later times, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. They forbid people to marry and order them to abstain from certain foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and who know the truth. For everything God created is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving because it is consecrated by the word of God in prayer. 
clearly there's an issue going on in the early church. If you point these things out to the brothers and sisters, you, Timothy, will be a good minister, or the Greek word is literally servant there, translated by this translation as minister. You will be a good minister of Christ Jesus, nourished on the truths of the faith and of the good teaching that you have followed. Have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. This is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. That is why we labor and strive, because we have put our hope in the living God, who is the Savior of all people, and especially of those who believe. Command and teach these things. Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young. But set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Until I come to you, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, and to teaching the Word of God. Do not neglect your gift, which was given to you through prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them, because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Big words. Paul begins chapter four saying, the spirit clearly says that in later times some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits. And in some ways, a variety of ways, we are living in those, quote, later times, or a time that could be described by or defined by these words Paul uses. There were controversies of many sorts in the early church, and we can guess at some of the controversies uh, in the community where Timothy was to whom Paul was writing. But there continue to be all sorts of controversies in the church universal today and in local churches included. Doctrinal matters, right understandings of Jesus, God, faith, salvation, the scriptures, how to live, what life is about, who God is, how we access or get to know God, what it means to obey God, what it means to have a life filled with God, what God wants for us. These are some of the things that confirmation class students learned about, studied, conversed about over the last three months. Doctrine's not a word that we use a lot, but it's an important concept in that it is the truth of the scriptures and the truth of God. You uh, eight young people, eighth graders and a couple of high school students, live now in a time and are growing up in a time that is different than what most of the rest of us grew up in. You are living in a time in America that is less Christian than the times that most of us grew up, and you are living in a part of the country that is less Christian than most of the rest of our country as a whole. And so you very much are living in these times where people are going different directions with what they believe and what they say about God with doctrines and practice. We live in an era in which whatever one wants to believe is more and more true 
at least for them. In such a context, Paul gives to the youthful Timothy several imperatives that he holds to be of utmost importance. The first is this. He begins, point out untruth. Point out twisted worldviews. Point out idolatry and deceptions and heresy. Point out the lies, subtle though they may be, in your culture, among your people, in your nation. Take note of what is going on, whether it is spoken or unspoken. Point out untruth. We live in a culture today in which the greatest of virtues that you are being taught implicitly by your culture is tolerance. And that whatever a person wants to believe and chooses to believe is okay and true. That's not a biblical framework, though it is the water in which all of us swim today. And Paul says, point out untruth. And we recoil at that idea in our modern world. And yet, if we were to see someone who had an unhealthy growth on their body, or they were bleeding, or something was going on in their self that was hurtful or harmful to them, we would not hesitate to point that out. If you went to the dentist and he saw decay in one of your teeth, but he thought, well, decay's okay for you, we would think he's a terrible dentist for not pointing out to us truth in our tooth. I didn't intend for that to rhyme. This can be uh, difficult. It's uncomfortable for me to say because uh, I know how it's being received by some. But the scriptures teach that we are to live into the revealed truth of God, particularly through Jesus, not to hammer people with that truth or to pound people over the head, but to live into and to cling to that truth, which is a path for us to life and to God and salvation, to cling to those truths with love and wisdom and humility and tenderness even at the risk of being perceived as judgmental. The alternative to not pointing out untruths is to allow people to continue in what are not true thoughts, to hold untrue beliefs, and to live either dangerously or outside of the revealed will of God for what is an abundant life. So that is how things work. Paul says later on, watch your doctrine closely. Paul says in verse 16, what we believe, what you believe, Timothy, really does matter. And what people in your city and in your culture believe does matter. Point out untruth. And then in verse 7, Paul says next, to train yourself to be godly. Some of you who are in the confirmation class are athletes. One of you is a competitive Irish dancer. At least one of you is an accomplished musician. Several of you, at least, are straight-A students. Maybe all of you, I don't know. These are all things that you have trained for. These are all areas in which you do train and train hard, and so you have also grown and excelled tremendously. And Paul would say that all of those things are good. All of them are good. The forms of training that you have undertaken have value, and specifically some value. But, Paul says, godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come, Paul wrote. And we don't think a lot about the life to come as we live in this life, 
until we near the end of this life or go to a memorial service or have a loved one who has passed away. But then we remember that there is a very long life to come. And Paul says that these things and training in godliness has value not just for this life, which it does, but also for the life to come. All of the work you put in on the field or the court or the gym or the practice room or the library definitely has value in and for this present life, yes. But, Paul writes, training in godliness and becoming more godly, not becoming more religious, not becoming more self-righteous, but becoming more godly or godlike, like God or like Jesus, benefits a person in this life, in middle school, in high school, and for the life to come. And there is a life to come that is infinitely longer than this life is. And so what we consider to be of value in this life will have even more value, Paul says, in the life to come when we train in godliness. What does training in godliness look like? Does anyone think that really sounds like fun? No hands, just one person fixing their hair. (laughs) Studying, Paul would say, studying in this passage, studying, reflecting on, and engaging in the scriptures as a part of one's daily routine, praying daily, and putting into practice the ways of God, the commands of God, the ways that God directs. Last fall, we spent 16 weeks talking about the way of Jesus and came up with a path and a curriculum that was consistent with what Jesus taught and what Jesus modeled. Loving God with all of one's heart, mind, soul, and strength. Loving one's neighbors as one loves oneself. Being immersed in God's word. Living for an audience of one. Giving generously. Praying as Jesus directs. Fasting as God leads. Living simply. Exhibiting compassion. Serving others like Jesus. Practicing gratitude. Practicing Sabbath. Practicing forgiving others. Practicing repentance regularly telling others the good news of God and Jesus, denying oneself. This is what Paul meant by training in godliness. And to those from the rest of the Pauline corpus, he might add, speaking words that edify others and that glorify God, living an upright and admirable life, trusting God and maintaining a pure heart, being pure in heart. And while this training regimen may be far more all-encompassing than going for a run or going to the weight room or practicing one's viola, and really far more difficult than all of those things, Paul points out that these things contribute to the renovation and the development of one's heart and one's mind and one's spirit, which is what we all long for, which make up who we are and how we are, today and also who we are and how we will be forever. Physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present and the life to come. And then Paul says number three to young Timothy, do not neglect your gift, which was given to you through prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Do not neglect your gift. Timothy was given a particular gift. We don't know what Timothy's gift was, but the scriptures assure us that every one of the eight of you 
that everyone who is in Christ is given by God a specific, a particular, and a significant gift, not for your own sake and not for your own glory, but for the building up of the body and for the well-being of the community and for the blessing of those around you and for the glory of God. Every one of you has been given a gift, and that was a part of your confirmation class curriculum, to be able to identify that gift and to be encouraged to put it into practice, not to hold it, not to put it in your pocket, not to rejoice in it, but to put it into practice in the church and in the world and in your home for your joy and for the glory of God. And then Paul writes to Timothy, what is our memory verse for this week? Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech and conduct in love and faith and in purity. That's gonna be our memory verse for this week. Let's say it together. Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. And Paul is saying here several things. To the sometimes timid Timothy, Paul is saying live your life in such a way that people cannot look down on you or look down at you. Young people, be above reproach. Live a life worthy of the gospel. You cannot change the way people look at you. You cannot change other people's behavior or their perspectives. But you can live before other people authentically in such a way that there is nothing about oneself or one's life that people can look down on. Nothing that people can disparage. You can live your life in that way. More specifically, as one commentator has written, guard against the excesses of youth by being an example both in public and in private, thereby warranting the respect of your peers and elders. It is not, simply, it is not sufficient simply to demand respect. One's actions must prove oneself worthy. As a young person, you cannot demand respect without also showing that you are worthy of respect. At the same time as Paul wrote to the Romans, do not think of yourselves more highly, and he's not writing to just young people, he's writing to all of us here. Do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourselves with sober judgment. In accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you, do not, may we not, none of us, think of ourselves more highly than we ought. And there's another flip side to this last point of Paul's words here to Timothy. He says to the young and the timid Timothy, do not let those who are older than you in the church look down on you, but he is also very much saying to the church, do not look down on Timothy and others like him just because he is young. Instead, look up to Timothy because God has gifted him for ministry, because he belongs to God, because God has called him to leadership, and because Timothy speaks with authority in Christ. Do not look down on Timothy or these young people just because they are young. To the church today, may we not look down on them because they are younger, but may we also acknowledge the ways in which God has gifted each of them and the ways in which God speaks through them 
and maybe even the way that God speaks to us through them. In conclusion, Paul not so subtly notes twice in his in this chapter, his motivation for saying all of this. And it catches us off guard, but it is what he says. This is why we labor and strive, because we have put our hope in the living God, who is the Savior of all people, and especially of those who believe. There's some mystery in that. This is why we, Paul and his co-workers, labor and strive because we have put our hope in the living God who is the Savior of all people and especially of those who believe. And then verse 16, watch your life and your doctrine, the way you live and what you believe closely. Persevere in them because if and as you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Big words. The way that you live, what you believe, how you interact with other people is somehow in the mystery and economy of God a part of the way that God saves other people. That's a high calling and a great privilege and a lot of respect and responsibility that God chooses to give to us and even to you. This is why we labor and strive. We use the word minister as a person who has a clerical collar, who, who stands on the platform or on Sunday morning or has a certain kind of schooling or training. But Paul calls young Timothy a minister. And the scriptures refer to all of us as ministers of sorts. God gives to, and he has given to each one of you, gifts for profound and eternal ministry. May you use those faithfully and he will be glorified through you. Therefore, don't let anyone look down on you because you're young. But set an example as 8th graders, 11th graders, 12th graders. Set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Let's pray. God, help us, uh, as we prayed a few minutes ago, to be attentive to your word, having heard and read, to ingest and to embrace and to seek to live. According to your grace, knowing that you love us and that you have good in mind for us, for those in the church, for those not in the church, for those having made professions of faith and those who have not, at this time. Bring about your kingdom through our meager obedience. Give us joy in the path of following your Son, our Savior. Amen.